Welcome to the Speaking of Tangents podcast, a podcast for your ears. Today's show is brought to you in part by creativity. Creativity. When you got something inside you that you just gotta let it out, creativity is the answer. Creativity. My name is Jason. And I'm KJ, and it's our special Halloween episode. Um, Halloween was like a week ago. Okay. And so in this week's Week in Review, well, I don't think we talk about Halloween at all, actually. But it's not just Halloween season. It's the NBA season. And so we give you the official, speaking of tangents, podcast, NBA preview. Preview. Plus... We talk about the World Series, kind of. Which by the time you hear this will be over and your team won or lost. So congratulations and or we're sorry. You know what's never over though? The hype for this episode is we have a very special guest that you don't want to miss. And we take a quiz or some of the nonsense. In a week, week, things happen. Yes, they do. And now we'll review. Yes, we will. Those things that happen. The things that happen. It's the speaking of tangents. Week in review. So what is up this week? Good is up this week. What is up with you this week? Well, we've been gone for a week, so there's a lot has happened. The NBA even has came back, and there's baseball going crazy, it sounds like, and who knows what's going to happen, you know, for the World Series and all that stuff. I'm sure yeah. you're watching that, right? I am watching that. That's funny. Baseball's going crazy, it sounds like, which would imply that you've not watched one single pitch. You would be correct. <laughs> this is, I feel like, though, I should, though. I mean, even Shea Serrano, who I... Got his book recently. I highly recommend it. Basketball and other things. This is not a sponsoring the podcast. This is me. This is a. I'm gonna give like a short recommendation uh-huh. uh, in the middle of the weekend review, which is you should read that book. It's really funny. Uh, it's really good. Uh, it's a lot of basketball statistics, but it's a lot of hilarious stuff. And you can just kind of gloss over the statistics. He makes it real simple. He gives it like a little forward in the beginning that says, "Hey, if you're not into basketball statistics, just think about it this way," and then moves on. And it's hilarious. Highly recommend the book. Great art. Um, the reason I say that and bring him up is because he, even he is like, I never watched baseball and now he's like totally writing articles about the world series on the ringer. So he's totally into it too. <laughs> so I feel like maybe now I need to watch baseball. Oh, it's been insane. I've never seen anything like it. It's crazy. Cool. Cool. Um, we, I know we talked a little while back about doing an NBA preview. We did. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to just do that right now. If that's cool with you. Absolutely. Let's get right into it. Okay, the NBA preview 2018, no, 17, right? 17. 2017-18 edition. As a side note, I actually texted Jason's wife uh, earlier this week and said, it is 2017, right? Because I couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, I've had that problem. I always forget my age, too. Yeah. This is the year that I don't forget it because, you know, I'm a man now, but next year I can start forgetting again. Yes, I have to. I have to actually add it up from the year that I was born, and then add it up to the current year. But when I don't know the current year, that means it makes you know, it. It's a problem. I'm completely lost. Okay, so what about this NBA preview? Let's get to it. The NBA is back, and that wraps it up for our preview. The speaking of tangents, official NBA preview. You should watch it. It's cool, and also watch baseball. It sounds like right. Definitely watch baseball. Cool. You know I. 
we got a lot that's happened since we've been off for a week and all that, but I just really kind of want to get to our guests this week, if that's cool with you. Yeah, me too. Let's do it. All right, all right. It's time to get up on your feet, out of your seat, and let the beat move you. Because coming up right now is a very special guest. Calling in from an undisclosed location is the fabulous Liz Clark. We'll talk about how she began a career in journalism, how she became part of the Tony Kornheiser Show, and go in-depth on Bruce on Broadway. If you're into inspiration and heartfelt emotion, you don't want to miss this because she brings it. Let's go. Do we have a guest on the show this week? Answer no or yes, it's a binary thing. Do we have a guest? Do we have a guest? Answer no or yes. Well, yes, Jason, we do have a guest. I'm very excited to announce we have the fabulous Liz Clark with us today. Wow. Yes, Liz is in her 19th year as sports writer for the Washington Post, and she's covered a wide variety of sports in her career and currently covers the Washington Redskins. She's also a contributor to the Tony Kornheiser Show podcast, and Liz is perhaps the leading candidate for the title of Bruce Springsteen's biggest fan. Welcome, Liz. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's real bad. What a what a very generous introduction, Kirsten. Thank you. And believe me, I there are there are far well, I am a big fan, but but I there are there are fans with with more shows than I, but um it, it's it's something I enjoy and am proud of. So thanks for having me. Oh well thanks for coming on. And as, I, and as I mentioned a minute ago, you are a regular contributor to the, the TK show, Tony Kornheiser's show, bef- and even before it was a podcast on local DC sports radio. And a lot of our listeners to the, to the Speaking of Tangents podcast are also TK Littles. And it was Great. through, yeah, and it was through his radio show that Jason and I were first introduced to you. So a yes. fitting first question right. from us yeah. might be, when did you join the TK show and or how did all that how did that all come together? Yeah, you know, I wish I could give you a clear answer, but so I joined the the post in 1998 and that was in the middle of an era where um Tony and Michael Wilbon were kind of I mean we had great sports columnists always but they were quite a duo and and everybody worked in the office back in those days and it was a very lively sports department with lots of yelling and screaming and debating and they would often you know parade through they each had their separate offices but they would sort of come out of their little cubicles and um and engage the rest of the staff in their banter. And you realize they were actually trying out their columns, you know, kind of giving them a dry run, you know, what got a laugh, what seemed seemed funny. So, um, you know, and it was from that interaction, they, they spun off into the PTI show. Um, and, and I, I, I honestly can't remember when Tony and Mike actually left the post or, you know, transitioned full time to, um, to the broadcast world. Um, he obviously had his radio show, Tony did, well before then. It was just something he'd always maintained through different stations. And so I really don't know when I was first asked by Nigel to come in. Um, I feel like it's been a long time because it's, it's I want to say there's been at least three or four home stations of it yeah. Um, yeah. that I've, I've yes. been through. So I'd say at least 10 years, but again, I have poor elapsed time. But um, 
I was very flattered, you know, because I don't have any sure. particular expertise, and uh, but but I oh, um, come on now. I know yeah. no, I mean you, you know what I mean. It's it's but but I I I'm very comfortable with Tony and my both, and um, and I'm I, I guess I'd say I'm more a generalist. I love movies and plays and theater and music, and so some of the the tangents that Tony takes really resonate with me way more than you know the mm-hmm. dissection of a of an eighth inning in baseball. As, as we mm-hmm. know, I'm not like real will real steeped in baseball. So um, I think <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I think I just kind of fit in, in, in this very loose format that he had of, there was always a chick chair that we, we joked mm-hmm. about. He, it's Tony's show clearly, but he usually had um, um, two sidekicks and one of whom was usually a woman, Jean being, you know, the, the most esteemed and um, by far the most articulate of us all. Um, so I just kind of worked into a rotation and totally loved it. Loved the bagels and um, yes. the banter. Yes. And I and I hope over time I learned to pipe down when I had nothing to offer. But um, but anyway, it's it's been a, a great fun. Whatever, whenever I'm in there, my morning is off to a, a, a good start. So it's a big highlight for me. I mean, not to mention the the serendipity via social media that really didn't exist back then of this community of littles that we're all sort of connected um by hashtags and at signs and um and then the the fabulous jingle fest that uh i i've been to the last two years and and just love so that i mean that's taken my small role in the radio show into a much more gratifying and fun and um in kind of surprising dimension yeah, that's that's great to hear because I the first time I visited the studio, um, which was a few years ago, um, mm-hmm. when Tony was doing the radio show, it was you and David Aldridge were on the show that day, and I planned it to be there on a Tuesday because it got into a rotation of you and DA usually being on on Tuesday, and because mm-hmm. you two were the two I wanted to meet more than anybody else, like the other, other chairs on the show, so <laughs> that's that's why I was sweet. thrilled to be there that day, and of course, when I came in, the first thing you said, oh, can I get you a bagel, which was awesome, so... <laughs> That was that was that was the thrill of the day for me. Was sitting You're next to you, so talking funny. talking about bagels and toothpaste, and I think somebody had sent in toothpaste and toothbrushes that day, and we were talking about that. So that's that was that was the highlight of my visit to the show How? was just chatting with you guys in between. So it was great. Well, and that's yeah. often the highlight of the show to me is just the the banter in between. And um, if ever there's a, a guest, that's always cool because Tony has such an interesting constellation of of listeners. Um, yes, and I certainly share your affection and admiration for DA. He is he is just the yes, best. yes, yep. tremendous. Yep, and I always just enjoy. And I think when you earlier when you said that um, people like to listen to it not necessarily or that you like to talk not necessarily about breaking down the eighth inning of a baseball game but just about sports and and music and and all those Mm -hmm. culture i think a lot Mm -hmm. of people listen to it for that not just it's not like he says it's nominally a sports show and and i think that i mean that's why i listen to it because it's a broad spectrum of everything and Uh absolutely and I, I love all the different personalities and what yes, every person uh, brings and uh-huh. just getting in on the conversations. Like, it's just a conversation. And that's, we kind of talked about that yeah. a little bit with Gary, about how that's why we, you know, that's why we lean towards the show so much. Well, yeah. and, and, and me too, you know, who's, who, um, 
you know, I, I know when it was on radio, I, I listened pretty much every day because I drove every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really grieved in a way when, when he went on his, his summer hiatus that seemed mm-hmm. forever. I yes. guess it was really yes. just like July and August. But it's the kind of show that there's not a similar plan B. You know, like when it yes, went off no the air, there wasn't yet. like, well, then I'll switch to this show that's kind of close. It's just like there's nothing like that. And then I went back to, you know, a a different kind of rotation, NPR, which I love, or if if it's relevant to work, hardcore sports talk radio, just to stay in touch with what people are in the lather about at the moment. But but there's just nothing quite like it and and for that reason. And I, I think like some of the most memorable or powerful shows for me, and certainly sitting next to Tony and and kind of marveling at how extensive his preparation is, you know, with his legal yes. pad, and he has yeah. everything planned out and thought out, yet he makes it incredibly spontaneous and extemporaneous, and he's just talking. But it, it's the, the moments that stay with me are either profound moments kind of in our, our social or political history when a, a statesman would die or a great figure from the yeah. arts would have died. And he would sort of eulogize them and connect it to, you know, an era or an adolescence we all remember or something just really random like um, cutting back postal delivery. And does anybody send letters anymore and does that matter i mean yes. things that right. are just like yep. part of the fabric of our lives and it's like wow i love that conversation whether i'm yes. chiming in in a wee bit or just like sitting back and and reflecting on my own and um you certainly can't categorize that i'm sure for ratings purposes or you know if you uh-huh. had to say what is this show about well yes let right. who knows but anyway yeah. the way i like to describe the show is as a listener i feel like i'm just hearing overhearing intelligent people's and caring people's conversation just as whatever whatever happened to be the topic just they're going back and forth having a conversation and I just happen to be fortunate enough to hear what they have to say and like you said sometimes it's very profound and sometimes it's very silly and sometimes it's almost a combination of those two things uh-huh. and that's that's what I love about the show yeah it's very very that. unique and that's kind of what exactly what you're saying is when you went to go on hiatus what did you listen to in its stead you know? yes yeah but and it, one last thing here, I, I, I always appreciate, and I think I speak for most littles, when you and Jeannie put Dr. Mr. Tony in his place when, how shall we say, uh, he goes one percenter on us, maybe? And, uh, I always love that. Well, I would like to say that 99% of us would do do the same. It's certainly not an, a, an agenda I have, but no. it's just it strikes me anew each time he says something yeah. preposterous, like, yeah. you know, about the elevator in his home or something like, something yes. like what? You know, or <laughs> complaining about his various hardships. you got to right. be kidding. Yep. And his complete lack of shame with the handout for, for every um, every every um, promotional gift coming down the pike. But yes. he's he's really gotten great at sharing this as shared bounty with the littles, and I think that's a very cool oh, thing yes. about the current shows set up in chatter. That there's this you know moment before and after where he you know talks with listeners and gives away mm-hmm. T-shirts and. 
God knows what is is in the goodie bag that day. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I we have to ask you about Bruce. We talked about Bruce oh, in the when I yeah. you know when we introduced you, and this past weekend, you got to finally go see Bruce on Broadway. I did. how was it? I did. I felt so lucky, and I had been looking for it to for to so long, and. Boy, let me just say at the outset, I don't want to say too much, certainly okay. nothing specifically, because I don't want to um, ruin or color or take away from anyone else's experience who might go at all. Oh, boy, where to begin? So we <laughs> won't address the number of Bruce concerts I've seen, which is, it's three <laughs> figures, let's just say. Yes. But and it, it goes back uh, several decades. So it's a yes. large number, and I have a count somewhere. But this is this this experience would not be the next one in a line because this is a a unique a, a unique two hours. It it's certainly not a concert, and it's not a play. It's in a beautiful, very small Broadway theater that just oozes grace and elegance and um and intimacy it's only 985 seats so oh wow you're you're basically spending two hours with bruce in a living room it has that feel and you know there's no production values to speak of it's it's a very kind of sparse dark austere setting with with very evocative lighting that you're not so much conscious of, but it, it just, it adds to everything. And he's just wearing jeans and a t-shirt and there's a piano and, and a microphone and the evening unfolds. It's two hours, you know, no intermission. It's just, we begin. And, um, he, I'd say like 40% of it is, is him telling stories, um, and, and the rest, the stories will lead then into a song that, amplifies or grew out of the experience he was just just sharing and so he sort of alternates between sitting at the piano and standing and some with the micro with a what do you call harmonica you know so it's just him I mean there's there's two songs where his wife Patty comes and sings some harmony but and then so that's just for the, the two songs and um and and I guess if I had to characterize it, it, it's, it's sort of like an artist, a very improbable artist, because he came from quite humble, you know, unlikely beginnings, you know, not, not a family of great wealth or, you know, culture, you know, definitely his dad was an, I basically itinerant worker. And, and the, the arc of the show is really starting at seven years old. You know, what it feels like, and excuse me if I get emotional, but I do, you know, what it feels like <laughs> no to good. have just the most, you know, preposterous dreams for yourself. You know, like mm. when I grow up, I'm going to be this. I'm, I want to be that, whatever that vision is. And his mm. the vision was supplied by seeing Elvis Presley, you know, on TV. And, and I think... Oh. You know, for many of us, it, it might have been the Beatles or, you know, a great book or, you know, a great teacher that led you to sciences or led you to to whatever your path is. But it's sort of a, an artist opening a vein on his process and on his soul, really. And 
um, the stories take us through, you know, the real struggle for success, um, I guess success as you would have it with this community of bandmates and, and the, the bond you share with them. And, Mm -hmm. and now to an artist in his sixties who is, you know, definitely has more of his creative life behind him than ahead of him and kind of taking stock of, was this life well lived? You know, did I serve other people through my art? Did I say what I, wanted to say and a a eulogy of of loved ones lost you know along the way and so i mean it's not a a bruce show per se and i don't even think you need to have a feeling about bruce to me it it would speak to anyone who ever as a child had outlandish dreams and pursued them and modified them along the way for, for anyone who struggled to understand their parents and, um, you know, alternately drew strength from a parent and were Mm -hmm. bewildered by a parent and felt an alien child from a parent, you know, and then you, you go through life and you, you leave the nest and you, you make your own community and, and, um, relate to the world. And, you know, certainly, you know, having lost one parent and having my dad left, who's quite elderly, you know, I think quite a bit about, you know, did I say the things I should have said to my mom before I lost her? And, you know, how can I be a good daughter to my dad, to my friends? You know, this doesn't go on forever. And, um, and a great joy. I got to see the show. Sorry. I got to see the show with a friend, um, a dear friend of 37 years and we met we met really over music we met in new york uh, at the bottom line a club that doesn't exist anymore oh. you know when we were really young and 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 just were insane about music and so we've been friends for 37 years and um and we have many shows between us you know <laughs> not only bruce but other other musical shows she lives in new york yeah. now and and she is in the middle of of really catastrophic health challenges and um you know kind of surviving each day by a miracle so to to see to see the show with my my dear friend of 37 years and um a show that's kind of a reflection on mortality it was just so deeply meaningful and i just felt like the luckiest person in the world and i hope anyone who wants to go can find a way to go yeah, it sounds like it was that, a very beautiful experience for you. It was. I mean, it's yeah. dark. You know, it's not a show that anybody's going to jump up and, like, pump their fist and right. yell Rosalita yeah. or, like, yeah. flick on their lighter. It's it's just not that. I mean, and there aren't encores, you know, because it's not a concert. It's really right. like, I mean, pick your favorite writer who, you know, God knows who that might be. But, like, say it's Tom Wolfe and he's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, have an evening in a in a coffee shop, and and our topic is bonfire of the vanity. So he's going to sit and talk about the reportage that went into that. You know, so okay, I had to learn about New York City cops, so I trailed a, a cop, and you know, here's the research that I did, and and then he would read a passage from a chapter of the novel that 
kind of connects the dots. And then he'd go back and talk about his process some more and the drafts he threw out. Maybe he throws out no drafts. I don't know. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> it, 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 yes. It's just, it's so intimate and so personal, yet it touches so many facets, I think, of your own life, yes. particularly if you have some age on you and some disappointment in your heart. and Some and, experience. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I... I preface this all by saying I'm not going to say too much about this. <laughs> no, this well, you didn't I, really give anything away. Good, 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 no. good. Because I want, I want people to experience it for themselves, and and maybe people will have a different reaction. I'm sure they That's will. Awesome. Yeah. I love your description of sitting around in the living room with one of your favorite artists. That's yeah, that's, it is. It is awesome. that. Yeah, it's that. And I I will say as a musician, uh, you. If you, the, the greatest thing to me, and I've heard other musicians say this, the greatest thing is when you realize when somebody tells you, hey, you, you touched me in some way or I mm-hmm. connected with you in some way over some, some music you did. That's yeah. far better than any kind of praise for technical or, you know, this song is great, that kind of stuff. If you can make a connection to other human beings, that's really the only thing that matters um, wow. as, as a musician a lot of times. So that's, wow. I, I love hearing that. And it really makes us realize that we are all connected in some way. And it's all, we all go through a lot of the same things. It may be different circumstances. It may come out in different ways, but it's all at the root. It's all the same. Our experiences, um, we share so much in common with each other that we tend to forget and take for granted and overlook that. I think it's awesome to get back to that point. Yeah, so true. Particularly in this climate of of hate and di- divisiveness and yes, yes, um, meanness. But but I I'm touched by everything you said. You know, cradle to the grave. There are we all yearn. You know, and we yes. all grieve. Yes, and, um, and at some point we all kind of wonder, did I do it right? You mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. Oh yeah, most definitely. <laughs> did I do enough? <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, for Bruce, uh, Jason and I have talked about Bruce a few times on on mm. this podcast, and and Jason and I now, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're both children of the mid to late seventies, so both of us first kind of became aware of Bruce during like the Born in the USA yes, picture of yes. yeah picture of Bruce's sure. behind with the the bandana in his pocket or wherever it was that era. Yes. I, I and, know the air, I sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, Jason, I'm right. This is kind of when you came to know Bruce, too? Yes. Okay. Uh, at a time when I was too young to understand he was being satirical with a lot of that stuff. Right, yes. And that um, me, too. And took it the wrong way. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. So then, so Bruce just sort of passed us by, at least sure. me by, in that in that time. Now, since then, I've started listening to a to a lot of his music and and quite frankly because of um the jingles that have been done of Bruce's uh, songs uh-huh. of yeah. you and John Fitzpatrick and Brad Weiss fellow littles who love Bruce Springsteen and um Jason introduced me to the album Nebraska and now oh, both of both yeah. of us say that Nebraska is our favorite favorite Springsteen album and yes, I totally get that. Yeah. Do you are uh, tell us if are we wrong on that? What do you think? Is that oh, you, there's what, no do you wrong? Have, 
wrong. No you wrong. <laughs> no, there's never a wrong with with our taste and loves and especially with the arts and uh, I love that. That's yes, so I interesting. Agree. No, no. Um, I, I speaking for myself. Probably, if my if my first awareness of Bruce was in that Born in the USA era, I would have found it off putting. I mean, that was yes. not my favorite era. Um, I mean, the album itself, I, I think, it is is really brilliant and profound in parts. But but that era, both for our country and for Bruce's commercial success, is not. It, to me, it just speaks of bloat, you know, and these vast stadium shows. And he was literally pumped up, you know, Jim uh-huh. Wise. His the 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 marketing of Bruce <laughs> was too big. The co-opting, you know, of the song was was so, you know, ill-placed. I, that yes. that was not my favorite era. Um, so. My my best friend in, I guess when I was like 14 or 15, first played Bruce for me. So it was Born to Run and hearing Jungle Land on the radio, if that's right. But it's still, it was... I was I was pretty young. I mean, I was before I drove, and it was around the time a best friend had bootlegs of his live concerts, the Bottom Line show, the famous Bottom Line shows in in 1975, and and prior to that, I mean, they just I could not believe what I was hearing. It was so amazing. So I just remember feel, waiting for what seemed like forever before I was able to see him live. Right. So I'd uh-huh. heard. I'd heard Born to Run, and then I'd gone backwards and gotten the first record and the second record, The Wild Innocent and the E Street Shuffle, and that's still to my favorite record, the second one. And, um, wow. and, but he was in a legal fight over with the manager, and he was kind of enjoined from performing there for a while. So I didn't get to see him until 1978. Um, it was September of 78, and it was at a... Well, I was, it was at a, at a small theater that doesn't exist anymore in New York called the Palladium. And, yes. mm-hmm. oh my God, it was, <laughs> it was just amazing. But I came across Bruce when he was a big, big deal in the Northeast, lesser known in other parts of the country, you know, save Cleveland and Philly, but certainly wasn't a commercial success. Um, although born to run, was was a big cultural big deal, and his writing at the time was incredibly romantic, um, and which is why I love the second record so much. Um, the the romance and and beauty of that record, and Born to Run as well. I, it, it drips with that, you know, to me yes. that longing, this like primal, yeah. you know, everything I want in in every sense of the word. It, 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 I, it's not in my town and I have to find it, you know, I have to find it. Uh Um, so it's, and and I obviously have stayed a fan throughout. I will always (laughs) listen with, with huge interest at anything he writes, but you know, I've ebbed and flowed it with various tours with different styles, with different material. But I, I always kind of rejoice when he does something unexpected and small and austere, mm-hmm. whether that is Nebraska being the first genius thing that he put out that was in that vein, and then then the ghost of Tom Joad later, yes. that, that yes. almost alienates 
a lot of his fan base. They're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to yes, go really. listen to him like Howl at the Moon. You know, I, yeah. I just want to like, you know, so I love that. You know, when the audience kind of gets too. smaller, the venues get smaller. But right. that sounds yeah. also kind of selfish. Yes, I love that. Selfish on my <laughs> part. But, I mean, it it's... I guess to me, the the genius, the thing that that stays with me, with him, it's it's not even the records. It's um, hmm. it's the writing. Uh, you know, it, it, his it at his best. I think his songwriting is is poetry and beautiful, and and its simplicity, um, and but specificity at the same time. And then the live performances are transcendent. I mean, they're just beyond. Whether it's in a very small, intimate way, like this particular show. I mean, I don't go to arena shows. That's my one rule. I don't go to say, Bruce or anybody. <laughs> I, I, you know, Mother Teresa, I wouldn't go see at a football stadium. I just don't. Uh-huh. I yeah. won't I'm be. with you on that. You know, I think that's an well, you don't care what I think, but it's not for me. Um, so, um, so whether he's playing to a house of twenty thousand or or five hundred in a bar, there's just something magical that he does when he's in front of an audience, and that is what he was born to do. And yes, it, yep. it, it's so it. clear to me. So it, I, I'm I'm there through whatever iteration he's in. It, it, you know, sometimes more enthused than others. He has the rare ability to connect, whether it's an intimate small thing or a stadium arena full of people. Uh, and it also that's what also comes through in the songwriting is just yeah. the ability to connect with other people in a way that is specific to himself and his life, but also general enough that it applies to nearly everyone who hears it can get something out of it. So when you can write a song that is a specific thing and it comes through that other people that listen, every single person that listens gets their own specific thing that relates to their life about it. Mm-hmm. That is true talent, and that is tremendous, and that is the apex as a songwriter that you're shooting for. So that's that's he definitely that's has it. so well said, and I think that's the essence of poetry, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of not, put. yeah, it, it was, Jason, beautifully put. Um, speaking of not going to arena shows, I just want to recommend an article that I came across that you wrote, Liz, in 2009 for the Post about Bruce. Oh and boy, a lot of people hated that. I mean, a lot a, of people loved it, but I, I liked I, it. I, I read thank it. You. It's called I mean, it, the one, it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm interrupting you. Yes, no, it, no, it certainly good. ended up being more of a confessional than I thought, uh, but that was because of the editor I was working with, who is just a genius. But I, I thought I was going to write about Bruce. And with every draft, she's like, let's have a little less about Bruce and a little more about you. Let's hear more <laughs> about you. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to let people know oh. what a fan I am. And what, But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I felt a little naked with that. Well, I think, I think it was a, That's when you really get down yeah, to it and really... Yeah, I think it was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have seen him a lot, as we talked about, but you've also, he, you mentioned in this article that you have had interactions with him, although brief. You're one of the fans that gets to, you know, he smiled at you once. He, oh, what did he do? He signed your leg cast. Right? That was the first time I spoke to him. Yeah, nobody wants to hear this, but yeah. Oh, okay. but, and then, well, I'm I am very interested in this. Fans, I didn't know no, this. No, a million fans have this experience. He's always been good about, you know, coming out to, to talk to fans and hanging out in bars. And um, so this is over the decades. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah. no, he's very good to to fans, as I'm sure are many artists. But he um, he's done remarkably well to just be a regular guy in many many mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, you know? uh, he comes across as real to me, no matter what he does. So that may to me that's really him, and it's easy to like someone when they do that, and it's easier to get into what they're doing when they are just they're being who they are and who they're created to be, and it's it's awesome. That is that is right. That's the coolest to me. And just being mm-hmm. genuine. Yep. Yes. And you both have been so smart about sort of seeing this topic we're talking about as a metaphor for artists and songwriters and poets. And, you know, I I hope it it resonates with people beyond just like I I love his records. I hate his records. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's um, anyway. It totally comes across to me, and and I think it's kind of what it's getting at the essence of creativity and what um, what is in you, and getting that and sharing that with other people in a way that is creative is to me as being a creative person and working in that and and living in that and being that for many years. That's that is really the thing that resonates the most. It that's what kind of unites mm-hmm. and draws people together more than anything, uh, and which is why that you know people. It, like you said before, in, in here lately, a lot have, have been focused on being mean to each other, putting each other down, and that's mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. It's about getting to where we all have something in common, which is being human beings exactly. and sharing yeah. that and living that the best we can. And there are going to be people and things that you don't like and people have different opinions, and that's all well and good. It's mm-hmm. are you... Are you treating other people with respect and and being a human being and getting it even at the base level, the lowest level uh, of, hey, you know, just because we are both humans, I'm not going to tear you down over just some little bitty thing. So it's it's really that's what resonates to me more than anything else. And this tremendously came across in that way. Everything Mm -hmm. you said makes me want to go to New York to see this. Yes. Yes. Would be would would just be. Boy, you should never tell anyone what they're going to feel. But I, I think it would resonate <laughs> with you both. I, I, I feel quite sure. I'm yeah. positive oh, it would. Absolutely. Yeah. Based on your description, I think it would blow me away. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your early career. How did you become interested in germ- journalism? When did you decide to pursue it? Um, have you always worked in sports journalism? Uh, what was your first job? What, what's been your path all the way to the Washington Post? My early career, it, it's very tedious to explain, so I'll try to make it short. The Post is my fifth newspaper, and it was my dream newspaper. I mean, I grew up in the D.C. suburbs, so hmm. um, I, I, I never pictured myself as a newspaper reporter because I was always very self-conscious about my writing. It was quite a process for me to um, make peace with. If you want to be a newspaper reporter, people have to read what you write. Um, so, uh, but that said, I really worshiped the post as as a young child. So in my mid twenties, when I kind of by process of elimination decided I really might like to try working for a newspaper, um, I needed to start out at a smaller newspaper. Well, I, I went to grad school to actually, in journalism, to remediate the, the fact that I never worked on a school paper or did the logical things you would do if you wanted to be a news, newspaper uh-huh. reporter. Um, yeah. But, but um, 
but I'm very proud I majored in history all the same. Um, anyway, so I, my, my first <laughs> yes. job was as a news reporter at the Raleigh News and Observer in North Carolina. And then it was after four or five years there, the, the last two years covering higher education, um, that I started writing about issues of academic fraud in, in college sports through the prism of higher ed. And um, the, its rival paper, the Charlotte Observer in North Carolina, was at that point going to create a sports job primarily to address news issues. So they were looking for a news reporter to come to the sports department, mainly to write about whether the city of Charlotte was going to get an NFL team. Um, this was way oh, back in the day. Oh. After Charlotte oh, wow. had the NBA team, they had the Panthers. No, excuse me, the Hornets. They were called the Hornets. Uh-huh. Then. Yep. But they were yep. trying, they were among like 11 cities trying to get what became the Panthers. So that job, the job of covering an NFL expansion process, is really a financial politics bordering on extortion job. I mean, it, it's like yes. hardcore, heavy, big deal <laughs> politics. So that was the job I, that's when I moved from news to sports. And I thought at the time this would be a fascinating thing to learn about, to cover. And I'll do a couple of years in sports and go back to news. And I just never went back to news. So that in, in 90 is when I guess I started my sports writing career. So um, is that 27 years in? Yes. So I went from, um, and it, it was also in Charlotte, the years that I was there, that I first was asked to help cover a NASCAR race that I knew nothing about. And um, it was a big, big topic for Charlotte um, because that's where most of the NASCAR teams, almost all the NASCAR teams were based. So um, mm-hmm. that's how, uh, you know, unwittingly I learned a lot about stock car racing and really came to appreciate its roots and history and, um, and, and the drivers who, uh, who kind of made that sport great at that time um, or fascinating to cover. Uh, so, so I, I was in Charlotte, then I went to the Dallas morning news to, to cover auto racing full time, which is a great privilege, a great, great sports section. Um, and then I went from there to USA today also to cover auto racing. And then finally, um, I got a call from the Washington post to come interview for a job, um, and, oh, and what I left out is at least four or five attempts to, um, to get a job at the Washington Post and being rejected at every turn. So that, that was good. That was, I, I liked the, um, the, the way that that made me work harder and, and yes. really focus yep. on trying to improve and be good enough, you know, to work at the Post one day. So um, I feel so grateful and, and fortunate to have worked at the Post and particularly for the Graham family um, who are just heroic to me. Um, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud to work for Jeff Bezos now um, as well. I, I think the sale was just just brilliant. Um, if the Grams could not own it long term, I think they placed the paper in very, very good hands, meaning mm-hmm. not to say that I, I know Jeff Bezos, but clearly this is a, a, a person with long-term vision and bold vision and yes, yes. he's taken it private, so he answers to no one in terms of profit or loss. And he sees, he, he does not believe, for anyone who loves newspapers or feels that newspapers are a part of our um, democracy, uh, he, he 
he he he sees that you can't cut your way to profitability. You know, the the, the way to right. keep newspapers going is not to keep slashing, slashing, slashing. You have to invest, 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 and hope that you know the economics of the web world, the internet, um, support the the very high cost journalism that the Post and the Times and and several other papers still do. Um, both overseas and and covering our own government, so yes. um, so that's been a joy and a privilege, and not to mention the ancillary benefit of getting to meet Tony and <laughs> and Will Bond yeah. and yeah. so many colleagues. I just revere and um, have learned so much from. Wow! Yeah, very very cool. And of course, being Halloween season. Uh, we here at Speaking of Tannins, we, we ask the hard-hitting questions. We need to know, what's your favorite Halloween treat? Maybe your most difficult question. Isn't um, it? We leave the, the hard-hitting <laughs> stuff for the end. It's really hard to, to go away from Snickers. I kind of think that candy oh. has it all. I think mm. Snickers might be it. Although there's, there's one particular candy I like very much you don't see everywhere, and it's Goldenberg Peanut Chews. Um, that are so good. Um, I don't know if I've heard of this. But, you know, choose. I've never yeah, heard. yeah. It has like a little bit of a dark chocolate and molasses. I think it's mainly in the Northeast. Oh, wow. Wawa's have them. And um, But really, I have no business eating sugar at all because I am a, a insulin-dependent diabetic. So um, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 I, I really, it, it's kind of a, an annual event if I have uh, a candy. I'm, I'm, I'm not that virtuous, but... Um, but yeah, <laughs> as I age, the the I like darker chocolate. So dark chocolate is my my secret treat. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you don't like candy corn. Am I right? I love like the retro look and feel. I love it as like a cultural icon. But I don't like to put it in <laughs> this my is mouth. The perfect answer. But no, That's I the love perfect to see it in a little dish. <laughs> yes, I, it makes me so happy. I love it. Oh, I, I, I love that answer. I love that. <laughs> that answer. is exactly but That's the best all? answer we've ever had. No, yes, I absolutely. enjoy candy corn. Oh, well, oh, yeah. there you go. You yeah. probably Kirsten like <laughs> fruitcake then too, but I, I um, don't. I don't like fruitcake. <laughs> You don't? Okay. You draw a line. I definitely draw a line. Okay. Well, what a joy. And I really apologize for the extensive fandom that probably turned off all, or will turn off all your listeners. Um, But um, if you you haven't heard me talk about my extensive fandom of Justin Timberlake, so if that's not not turning off. No, but I do believe, and this will be the the last utterance I make, I do believe that it's essential to every living being to be madly in love with something at every age in your life. I mean, I love Mm -hmm. to see like little five-year-olds just so insane about dinosaurs. They can tell you every dinosaur. And then like in another phase in their life, they might be into, you know, rocket ships or airplanes or, Mm -hmm. you know, something else. And I, I just think every life must have a passion and it, you need not be evangelical about it. It's your passion, but, you know, yes. it's, yes. it's, Very it's important. a great thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Very well said. Well, we could talk to you for hours, but we need, we'll let you get back to work. And, but thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you so us. much. It's been an oh, absolute thank delight. Thank you both. You guys are the best. Okay. Happy Halloween. Same <laughs> you to too. you. Be well. Bye. 
This is a song of words about a quiz that I'm singing. That should end what this segment is. Okay, I'll tell you, it's a quiz. What do we know? Yes, it is a quiz. We do have a quiz. Um, and the last time we uh, had an episode, we had a quiz. And this one is similar. Actually, it's not similar at all. But speaking of Halloween. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is it similar in that it's an, another quiz? It's similar, it's similar in that it's another quiz. Yes. There you go. It, um, then it's similar. It works. It qualifies. Yeah. And and speaking of Halloween and, and, you know, Liz Clark just told us her favorite Halloween candy was Snickers. So, yes. you know, we thought, you know, it might be appropriate to kind of figure out do we know the quiz is do we do you know your spooky halloween history so it's about candy um, i think but maybe not about candy the first question appears to be about candy hmm. there's no mention of candy in the name of this there That's isn't right. first question candy so well i'm probably going to say we're not going to do so well in this one there are seven questions we're going to get three maybe four three now speaking of our last quiz um mm-hmm. Remember the question about what came first, Burger Chef or Burger King? Yes. And I, I still don't remember the answer. It was Burger King. Burger King. Well, Tony Beeson sent us an email, and was he said he was heartbroken that we did not know what Burger Chef was. He was a huge fan, and he sent us a picture of himself as a little boy with a Burger Chef hat. And awesome. I apologize, Tony. I didn't mean to break your heart. I'm I, I'm sorry that Burger Chef is no longer. Yeah, and it also sounds like it was more of a regional thing because I had heard of it, but I lived in uh, Ohio and you know spent time driving through Kentucky, Indiana as a kid. So that's I think that's where I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's basically started in Indianapolis. I think we looked up last time and was mainly limited to that you know Midwest kind of going a little bit east region of the country, if I remember correctly. Primarily, anyway. Yeah. We're going to say that. Yeah. We, yeah. We're, we'll say that. And, you know, we got, because we've had feedback the, the previous week, we didn't have feedback. So there's been a two week pile up of feedback. And yes. uh, so we're going to just say thank you for giving this the feedback. But we're going to start with a new slate next time because there were so many. What, what was it? Somebody, I think it was Adam Benson that said he opened his phone and had 151 notification. He's like, what in the world is going on? It's, yeah, that's it, the chicken wing, chicken, the chicken wing thread wing, yeah. that he started. A lot of these uh, t- these feedbacks have been about the feedback. Feedbacks is not a feedbacks. plural word. A plural word. Feedback. Uh, feedback. Uh, we're about candy and and chicken wings and Halloween candy. So we figure mm-hmm. it's apropos to have this quiz, although we don't know if it's actually about candy. So with that, yes. let's start. Yes, as the rocket scientist, I approve of this decision. Oh, okay. Smarties. <laughs> yes. Oh, and one more thing. We still are okay. we still are looking for the identity of two individuals that gave us the iTunes reviews, which for which we are very thankful and we owe you a sticker. We are yes, looking and for remember, we will track you down. Yes. We are coming for you. Oh, this is not a malicious thing. It's <laughs> we, we're trying to give them something, right? We're trying to give them a mystery sticker. Remember? Oh, I thought we were after him for some reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. So MNL, uh, never mind. MNL listener and T-Bone B, send us your mailing address. T-Bone. T-Bone B. 
um, email us at speakingoftangentspodcast at gmail.com or send us a direct message to Twitter. You can try to send it to Facebook, but I don't know. Yeah, at okay. Speak Tangents on Twitter. Yes, at Speak Tangents. Okay, here we go. The quiz. You mentioned a quiz, yes. I mentioned a quiz. Number one, in 1847, Necco wafers were invented by a young English immigrant. Necco is an acronym for what? Um, I think this was on TK show once. This oh, really? question. I don't remember this one. I have a bad memory though. Uh, and I the, think it's New Do you want me England. to read the choices or do you want to just guess? Uh, I think it's New England Confectionery Company. So do I. Okay, let's pick that one. Now, is this a true acronym or is this an initialization? Uh, this is an acronym because you NECO. You say NECO. Yes, you say NECO. Because most, most people don't realize a lot of times until you explain it to them that it's Stands for something like Nabisco. Nabisco is kind of like a portmanteau acronym, somewhere like a portman acronym. Why? What does Nabisco stand for? It's like Nabisco Biscuit Company. Oh, okay. I so I see what you're saying there. Or yep. or N- North American Biscuit Company. Sorry, Nabisco, but it's I think it's North American Biscuit Company. So it's like combining all those, and you pronounce it like you would an acronym. But it's not just the initialized first letters. It's actual pieces of words like a portmanteau. You put two words together to form a mm-hmm. new word. So I think it's a. It's got to be a word for that, probably that we don't know. I'm sure there's a word for that. Sure. Okay. We got it right, by the way. We did get it right. Next question. Next question. This is not about candy. <laughs> the pumpkin, an autumn favorite for carving or eating, is native to which continent? Oh, I got wait. I got a different question. Oh no. <laughs> All right, we'll go with you. We'll go with yours. Okay. Should I repeat the question? Yes, because I had no idea what you said. The pumpkin, an autumn favorite for carving or eating, is native to which continent? Europe? Which continent? Yeah. Europe, Australia, or North America? Oh, boy. Hmm. I'm going to say North America. Oh, my. Because I'm that's where the- I'm from, and that's where I'm native to, and that's what it's all about. And that's where all the good stuff happens. Yes. Pumpkin. Well, <laughs> I like pumpkin. Recently. I like I'm right until recently. All right, let's choose North America. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, yeah. They're one of America North America's oldest native crops and were essential to Native Americans and early settlers mm-hmm. for winter survival. Absolutely. Two for um, two. Yes. Uh, if if for some reason these questions are they just pull out of a pool randomly and pick seven. I'll read mine, the one I got here at the end, but I, I imagine they're just giving to me and giving them to you in different order. Oh, yeah, so probably. We'll probably get to mine in some. So we'll, we'll roll with what you got. Keep going. Okay, the next question. The jack o' lantern originated from a myth in this country France, England, Ireland. I'm going to say England because isn't that where. Well, no, that would have been in North America, too. I'm going to say England just because I want to say England. Um, I'm going to go with France. My reasoning right. is really no reasoning at all. <laughs> so but, you're with me on that? Yeah, France. Let's see. I am incorrect. Okay. Ooh, this is a... I, this looks interesting. The legend of the jack-o'-lantern stems from an Irish myth about a man hmm. named Stingy Jack. Jack tricked the devil, who in turn sent him off into the night with only a piece of burning coal to light his way. 
Jack then carved out a turnip and put the coal in it, which is said to be roaming the earth ever since. This ghostly image is referred to as Jack of the Lantern or Jack-o'-Lantern. Pumpkins later replaced turnips when adapted in the United States. They used to do this with turnips? We should have got this. We should have. O'Lantern, like O'Leary or O'Shaughnessy. It's... Irish, of course. What what, uh, what morons we are! It gave are. it away. Yeah. yeah, we 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 had we both guessed a different answer, and we both were wrong. Yeah, out of three chances. Out of three chances. Yeah. yeah, I like the novelization in these quiz answers. This person really put a lot of effort into this. Well, this is this is a uh, PBS, so you know it's bound to be a little better than BuzzFeed. Uh, you hope. True. Very true. Yes. Oh, here's a candy question. In its infancy. This celebrated Halloween candy. Oh, let me repeat the way I say that sentence. <laughs> okay. In its infancy, this celebrated Halloween candy was commonly called chicken feed. Ooh, I know this. Uh, here are the, ans- are the choices. Licorice, candy corn, taffy. Candy corn. Yeah, obviously. candy corn. Has to be. Which is, <laughs> I can see why they changed it to candy corn from chicken feed. Well... It tastes like chicken. <laughs> yeah, I sure. knew you were going to say that. And mm-hmm. and Liz's explanation was fantastic. That's exactly why I think people like it. Is because it minds... looks pretty in the bowl. It reminds yes. you of you know young you know nostalgic. Yeah. Yes, your nostalgia is fooling your taste buds. You know what I? Happening. The Hall of Famer brought some home the other day, and it was mixed with peanuts. And well, I mean that's that's unfair right there. So what I did is I took a handful by themselves, the candy corn, not the peanut, and I ate the chicken them. Feet. Mm-hmm. The chicken feet. And while tasty enough, they really, really burned my teeth. So yes. I I don't know. I don't I'm not gonna sit here and say I don't like it anymore, but I, I'm gonna say still, I'm gonna maintain that I don't crave it and I'll eat it if it's in front of me. Well see, here's here's a baseline, you know, low bar that I like to put out there for food and candy. (laughs) It doesn't burn your teeth when you eat it. That should be like the bottom level. If it can't get above that, what are we doing? Well, that might be because I, maybe I have a cavity or something. That's possible. Yeah. So anyway, wax and sugar. Yeah. In the beginning, candy corn had no connection to Halloween or the fall season, but was popular among farmers and nicknamed chicken feed because it looked similar to the corn fed to chickens. So it's not feet, it's feed. Mm. Okay. After World War II, candy corn was publicized as a Halloween treat and has been widely popular ever since. See, guess what? Leave it to people who are like, we got this surplus of stuff. We got to sell it to people. Yep. Let's market it Let's in a market certain it. way to give it to them. So then it becomes this pariah on society for the rest of our lives. Marketing. <laughs> we love it when it's good. Yeah. We hate it when it's bad. It's <laughs> a great tagline right there. Okay, the next question, number five. This traditional Halloween activity was said to forecast who would wed first. Hay rides, bobbing for apples, and carving pumpkins. I think I know this. Bobbing for apples. Yeah, bobbing for apples. It's got to be the apples. Do I know this because of... Why do I know that? Is it some cartoon? Was it in a cartoon once? Because it's the only thing that makes sense. Well, you could get all romantic on a hay ride. No, but it sounded like when you said who's going to do it first, it seems like a competition. So it's like throwing the oh, bouquet at a right, wedding. Right. Whoever catches it, you know, is supposed to be the next person married, all the blah, blah, blah. And yeah. He catches the yeah. gardener and all that stuff. Right. Um, okay. Well, what kind of competition are you going to have in a hayride? Yeah, that's true. 
or carving pumpkin. Well, carving pumpkins is competitive. Yeah, that's more of a judge. But then you need thing, a judge though. situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the the paragraph, the PBS paragraph. Hailing from our English ancestors, bobbing for apples was a game <laughs> played to predict who would wed the soonest. The first person to grab an apple from a bucket filled with water while their hands were tied behind their backs would be the first to wed. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, people were nuts. <laughs> people still people, are. People this, were this nuts? This just goes to show you before, before, the, before you know, the internet and before all you know, social media and all that stuff, People were still crazy and have always been crazy back in the, you know, the 1800s. Yep. It's just now we just are, you know, we're um, exposed to more of the craziness of various other people. And, hey, I'm crazy in my own way. It's all on a display more with, you know, you social media. Okay. It's almost encouraged. Oh, it's definitely encouraged. Duh. Okay. Number six. <laughs> <laughs> more candy. More candy. During World War II, this candy, often seen at Halloween, was a part of soldiers' field rations due to its longevity in numerous environmental conditions. Well, I mean, candy corn is the cockroach of candy, so (laughs) I would say that, but we've already had that as an answer. Candy corn is not even a choice. So we've got A, Starburst, B, Tootsie Roll, C, the Jolly Rancher. Um, I don't think it's Starburst. Don't you think all of these could survive numerous environmental conditions yeah um so that doesn't really help i'm gonna the, go with jolly rancher because it doesn't melt I would say in jolly the hot or tootsie roll well is a tootsie roll really gonna melt though a tootsie roll might melt okay you're going jolly rancher yeah hmm. tootsie roll just seems like an older candy like it seems like to fit that time of like you're right is it world war ii yeah uh, but jolly rancher is probably that old too now i think about it i bet you the tootsie roll maybe you can get the clickety clack out but i bet you the tootsie roll was before world war ii probably i would guess early i would maybe guess world war one time frame for tootsie rolls okay so um i'll say tootsie roll just i think you're probably right that a tootsie roll has a more chance of of melting um Okay, I am wrong. And and here is the PBS paragraph. Due to their non-perishable nature and resistance to extreme weather, Tootsie Rolls were added to to soldiers' MRE issue during World War II. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, somebody knows that. You know they know that. Yes. You idiots! Although you got it right, so you're not an idiot. (laughs) I I haven't missed one yet, I don't think. Oh, yeah, we've missed something. No, we haven't. We haven't oh. missed any. Okay. Um, we've missed zero. Are you going to look up Tootsie Roll and when it was discovered? Oh, do you want me to? Yeah, sure. And then Read the next one and I'll look it the up. The next question and the final question. In 1928, the pink bubble gum that is now known as Double Bubble was invented in Philadelphia by Walter E. Dimer. Why is it pink? Why is... Why, Why is, is the double pink? bubble? Why is the double bubble pink bubble gum pink? A, the gum was supposed to be white, but a little red food coloring spilled into the batch, turning the gum pink. B, the inventor wanted the color to match the interior of the mouth. And C, pink dye was the only color on hand at the time. Hmm. When was it? What time? Does it give you the time frame? 1928. 
I'll go C because it seems like a 1928 kind of thing. Yeah, that was my thinking. Not that it seemed like a 1928 kind of thing, but it seems like when these sorts of things happen, they're often by accident. And yeah, well, I mean, in, certainly in 1928, you're like, you're not going out of your way to, you know, do fancy stuff. It was mainly like out of necessity, most stuff they did. Mm-hmm. Which could be could be A, because it, it red yeah, food true, color is filled in, too. So let's see. Um, correct. Correct. They Pink was the only thing they had. Yep. It's just whatever you got. And How far have we come in America, and how far have we gone down? Well, um, our result was five out of seven, which you got six out of seven, I think, because... Yeah, we missed the Irish, um, the Irish Jack Lantern, which yeah. we should have gotten. And, I blame myself. And we are in 71, we got 71% right. It's not bad. Along with 1,577 other people. Yeah. Eat it, 1,570 other people. Well, the people that got worse than us, they're not that many. Oh, well, well, hey, I, I got, I got, you know, we got with combine us, you know, we got right. better than that. Yes. So. Yeah. We did. We did really well. That's what I'm thinking. We did. We rock. We beat awesome. our expectations. Of course. And Tootsie Rolls 1907. So we got that right, too. 1907 before World mm-hmm. War Two, if I know my history. That's before World War One. Yes. Yes. As you as you said, when it was discovered, when Tootsie Rolls were discovered. Did I say discovered? I think so. It must have been in the question. I would never make a mistake like that. <laughs> it's PBS. The question, fault. <laughs> the question is when were Jolly Ranchers discovered? Let me look that up. I wonder <laughs> if I type that into Google, what did it tell me? They're digging in the field and all of a sudden they pull up Tootsie Rolls all over the place. Look at this. Look at what we've discovered. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jolly Ranchers. 1949, it was introduced, is the way they put it. 1949. Okay, well, that was after World War II. Mm-hmm. Do you know who currently owns Jolly Ranchers, the brand? Is it another brand, or are you talking somebody's name? It's another brand. Uh, you, you, they own, like, all the candy now. Um, the people that own Oreos. Mm, Nabisco. I'm not sure if they own it. No, Hershey. Oh, Hershey. They own, like, every candy, practically. Well, conglomerates. Yes. Marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you you haven't we you haven't tried the mystery Oreo, right? And you're not going to? Uh no, I can't actually because you know this. Oh, the, yes. I have a crown that came off and I have gonna be like two or three weeks without eating actual solid food, so maybe in a month I'll try it. Oh, uh, a month? It's gonna be at least another two weeks because they messed up and I'll get into that at some point when this saga is wrapped up. I'm sure, sure. I will rant about that because it it's incredibly frustrating. But I don't want to get people down, you know, the week of Halloween, even though right. Halloween was four days ago or whatever. Yeah. Well, people are still eating Halloween candy. Some people. That's true. You know. That's true. Um, okay. Well, anyway, the mystery Oreo I have eaten, and I was mm-hmm. certain the moment I ate it what it was. Okay. And I think it's absolutely disgusting. I, do, I, do not rec- I cannot recommend people eating it. However, once I started eating it, why did I not throw the package away, you might ask? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know. We, we went to North Dakota uh, last weekend, brought the package with, had the cra- my crazy aunt try it. Um, but I could not stop eating these things that were disgusting. <laughs> I can't figure it I out. Was gonna- 
<laughs> I was going to say this sounds like misery loves company where you like, this is awful. This is the worst thing I've ever had. Taste this, you know, to the person yes, next to you. Right. That's just the natural human thing to do. But you are actually eating them continually yes. yourself. Well, you can't let them go to waste. Oh, yes, you could. I know. You got to let stuff go. I know. And it, it that's the problem. If it's in the house, I'm going to eat it, even if I don't like it, apparently. That's my, I, I am absolutely that way. If I have something, that if, if it tastes just, you know, if it's just barely above my level of, yeah, I can take this, I can, I can stand to eat this. If it's here and it's sugar, I will eat it. That's just yeah, it's the a, way it is. Yeah, it's a problem. Although, well, I will, I'll save that for next week. Ooh, cliffhanger. Ooh, teaser. But anyway, so I <laughs> once the flavor comes out, I will tell you, and I will be honest, if I'm right about it, of course I'll say I was right, but if I'm wrong, I'll say I was wrong. I'm actually going in between two flavors, and it's more because I'm thinking about marketing and how they might do that and not because I'm pretty sure I know the answer. But Okay, here's an idea. Okay. Here's an idea. We do a sealed envelope or envelope. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can recording. do that. So we're going to say it right now. The people that hear this podcast now are not going to hear it, but I'm going to save that recording. Okay. And then we will play it back, open the sealed envelope or envelope, and play it back after the flavor comes out on the podcast that comes up after that, and we'll see if your prediction was correct. This is a fabulous idea, and I, but I think it's all the way – I think you can still enter this contest all the way – to the end of November. Well, hey, we can hold it till after Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. We will. Well, you know, I mean, it, I was going to say if as long as the podcast is still around by then, but I should say, you know, as long as the world is still around by yes, then. Yes, exactly. Okay, so well. we're going we're gonna to end right now, but then we're going to do the sealed envelope. Actually, I want to do the sealed envelope, and then I want to come back and comment on what I think. If I'm going to do a prediction if I think you're right or not. Without revealing the answer. Okay, so you okay? I got it. All right, so so I'm going to cut the next part. Nobody else that's hearing this now is going to hear what I'm about to say. What you're about to say, give the answer, but they're going to hear my reaction to it. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All I'm right, ready. Go. This right here is an interlude that I've made up just for me and you and everyone else that's listening to our podcast. I hope that you will enjoy the song that I'm making up as we go along and then you'll keep listening. Really? Yes. So the mystery flavor, you have revealed your answer for what the mystery flavor is. I have, yes. And that will be sealed in a hermetically sealed box that I keep in my basement in a vault. Behind a secret bookshelf. Is that next to Gatorade, by chance? No. Okay. No. You, no. <laughs> okay. So we will keep that until they Nabisco, or is it Nabisco that owns Oreo? Nabisco? I think I'm Nabisco sorry, owns the Oreo. North American Biscuit Company. Yes, the portmanteau uh, acronym... <laughs> Initialization. I, f- I find it hilarious that we can't come, that we have portmanteau in the word for that, and we can't come up with a portmanteau for it. Exactly. We'll just say portmanteau, and that'll be all we need to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that will be revealed once Nabisco comes out with the answer, and we will unveil it, and people will know if you were correct or not. And I will vouch for 
the recording that we did not cheat and that if you got it, what do you, what do you win if you get it? Do you get the $50,000? Is that how it works? Well, I, I was so certain that I know the answer that I looked up contest rules, which I never do. Mm-hmm. I usually ignore these things. Yeah, so there's a grand prize winner of 50000 and then I think four $10,000 winners. So what wow. they'll do is they'll take all the people that have the answer correct and I suppose put them in a hat, you know, a fancy yeah. hat, of course, and randomly select the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So, so did you submit your answer? No, I haven't because I oh, don't. Oh, come on. Well, you I, think you're right? Well, I do, but then I have to give them all my information. Ah, see, that's what it is. That's where they get you. They already know who that's, you know, that $90,000 is going to. They yeah. know where the money's going. They're just trying to get you to give give them all your, you know, contact information, which honestly doesn't matter anymore because Experian and Equifax and all in the yeah, party give it away true. with your yeah. social security number. So I had to put a credit freeze on all my stuff a couple of weeks ago just because it just I kept Did getting you? these emails like such and such is, you know, accessing your credit. I'm like, what? Yeah. I I still think it was the, a scam by them. They let they let people hack in and get the stuff so then that you'd have to sign up because in order to do anything about it, you have to sign up with them. And then when you freeze your credit on one of them, you had to pay for it. And guess where that money goes? The people that I don't trust to have the, that leaked the information in the first place. Yeah, they, they you have to pay to freeze your credit, which is ridiculous, yes. especially yes. Uh, which 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 company was the company that had the leak or the uh, Equifax Equifax was Equifax Equifax better not charge you. No, theirs was, theirs was free. They yeah. they changed it. Theirs was free. There was one of the others that, that cost. It's only like three dollars, but still, part of that money is going back to them. That sure. and part of that money is going back to Equifax because you have to do like this thing where you pay and then it goes. It's you have to go to like all three of them. So, I, when people can profit off of their own dumb mistakes, I guess I guess that's America now. <laughs> yes. I wish I'd figure out a way to profit off my own dumb mistakes because I make them all the time. Yeah, and I, I could get be loaded. Yes, <laughs> I gotta figure this out. Well, you could be if you would sign up and give away all your information. That's true. You could win fifty thousand dollars. That's true. Yeah, I have to think about that. Yeah, is there anything else this week before we ride off into the sunset? No, I think that'll do it. Okay, bye. Bye. Speaking of Tangents is brought to you by K.J. Onstead and Jason Fuse. Hosted by Jason Fuse and K.J. Onstead. Created by K.J. Onstead and Jason Fuse. Music written and performed by Jason Fuse. Lyrics and vocals by K.J. Onstead and Jason Fuse. Edited by Jason Fuse. Special consultant for guest acquisitions is K.J. Onstead. Speaking of guests, we want to thank Liz Clark once again for coming on with us. I mean, how great was Liz Clark? And we didn't get into it in the interview today, but but did you know that Liz has twice won the Excellence in Motorsports Journalism Award for her coverage of NASCAR, and she wrote a book about it? The book's called Hell of a Ride, How NASCAR Swept the Nation, so check it out. And you can follow Liz on Twitter at LizClarkTweet. That's L-I-Z-C-L-A-R-K-E, Tweet. Oh, and speaking of Halloween... We here at Speaking of Tangents, we tweeted out a poll asking you to vote on your favorite Halloween drink. Some of you have questioned the authenticity of this poll, and that's fine, that's good, it's good to question things. But the results of the poll are in, and the overwhelming winner was Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, receiving 76% of the votes. Coming in second is a tie between the Gummy Bears and Candy Corn at 9% and 6% Oreos. So thanks everybody for voting. 
Okay, so you want to know what Halloween treats I actually had? If not, hit fast forward now. Five seconds ought to do it. Three Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, one mini Kit Kat, one mini Twix, one regular-sized box of Junior Mints, and one regular-sized box of Milk Duds. Oh, and speaking of duds, don't buy a pile PA Bullhorn. I guess I should have known better because what a pile of junk that thing was. Graphics by Jason Fuse. I love snow peas. And I love you. Bye-bye.